You're listening to Rust Belt Running. Running is what makes me realize that, like, I'm a human being who is worth something. That is not a good measurement of my value as a human. We get between eight and 10,000 additional comments, and I read every one of them. So you had to run Sand Run for your first. You become race director and take it out. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's got to be old guy naked in the locker room. I, I get to spend time with my friend Adam. I get to do something with my friend. Right now, I'm not thinking much beyond what I'm going to be drinking next week at this time. Coleslaw on a taco is not taco, it's barbecue. And so we'll be discussing tonight with some occasional swear words from Andrew because he's upset. And that's okay. I know him as the biggest Kid Rock fan around. You rap that. <laughs> oh, dear God. You're listening to Rust Belt Running. I'm Adam Wheeler. You can find me on social media at Wheels Up in CLE. And I am joined, as I always am, by Andrew Hedinger, who you can find on social media at Andrew Runs A Lot. You can find the podcast on social media at Rust Belt Running. And today, well, we're recording this on Tuesday, December 8th. And we are about, oh, I don't know, six hours after we learned. Yeah, you know what sucks is that we have to say the date that we record now because the amount of shit that changes. You know what else sucks? Michigan? Having a son who turns eight on Friday, who I had to tell tonight, this will be his first year alive that we do not get to witness the Ohio State University kick the shit out of that team up north. God, it was going to be a bloodbath, too. (sighs) I know. It was going to be a real bloodbath. A bloodbath worthy of a contract extension for Harbaugh. Oh, Lord. Yeah. um, Yeah, you know, what sucks about it is that I I hadn't realized this, but last week when Ohio State played Michigan State, it was the first time that a program had had to cancel the game because of an outbreak in the Big Ten where they actually played the game the immediate week after, Um, which was amazing to me because I I guess I haven't really followed it that much. There hadn't been that many cancellations within the conference, but, um, you know, Ohio State they canceled their game against Illinois really late. Like they, they were practicing on, on the Friday before they were supposed to play Illinois. And like people sat down to eat dinner that night, believing that Ohio state was going to play Illinois the next night. in like, let's say 17 hours or so. And then, you know, we learned uh, late that night that the game was canceled. And so the initial thought that at least that I had was like, well, you know, shoot Michigan canceled their game last week having gone to all virtual classes or all virtual meetings like the Monday before. So they were way out in front of getting this under control than we were, but, you know, not knowing all of what led to the outbreak there, uh, the report came down today that they were going to be missing 45 players um, out either with COVID or deemed high risk candidates to contract it based on contact tracing you obviously can't field the team without 45 guys on a 90 man roster. So it wouldn't have made much of a difference. No, it wouldn't have made much of a difference at all, but it's, I was, I was optimistic because yesterday um, I was, I've been following the beat writer for Michigan who uh, writes for the athletic 
and Michigan had gotten the okay yesterday to start some in-person stuff, not full right. contact practice, but like, go ahead, put on a helmet, go out and practice. And so I was like, okay, looks like we're going to have a game. And I was excited for it. Um, I took off from work to watch the game because I don't miss Ohio state Michigan games ever. Have you picked it up yet? No, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I might just keep it off. Cause I, I, you know, something you, I will talk about is like what happens now. Um, I fully expect that Ohio state's going to play somehow this weekend. We saw just this past weekend, um, a game that was scheduled on the fly between who was it? BYU. And let me look this up. There were a couple of teams whose games were, were canceled uh, going into last weekend and they got together and said, Hey, let's, let's schedule a game. You know, we, we have the slots open. We might as well do it. And um, BYU and coastal Carolina who are ranked 13th and 18th in the college football playoff, they figured it out. They got together and um, had a game. And so if you're looking at Ohio state right now, there's a really obvious team to schedule on the fly this weekend. And uh, I'll be surprised if there isn't at least some high level discussion about scheduling Texas A&M. Mm. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, um, I don't know that A&M would want to do that either though. See, I, mean, I don't, I don't know that a and I think a and they don't have anything to lose. It depends on what they think is going to happen. If Ohio state is only able to play five games, six, including whatever game they're going to play a championship weekend, they're, right. they're currently not eligible to play in the big 10 title game. Um, actually right before you and I hopped on the next team that would be eligible from the big 10 East is Indiana. Um, they're pausing activities because of COVID. Oh, so, that would, would that drop the average low enough for us to get in? I can't wish the virus on anybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know. That's right. Yeah. And that's the, that's mm. the other thing is like an average. I don't know. The big time okay. has made it. I don't want to go down that road too much though, because that no. really sounded like total douchebag. And, um, and- and it honestly gets us into these weeds about the different rules the Big Ten has created. And it's, it's, there's nothing, there's no fun talking about that. Um, you know, so I guess, I guess just because we're talking about it, you know, you said, what does Texas A&M have to lose or do they have something to lose? Um, you know, the committee made a pretty big statement last week when Ohio State did not play Illinois, but they still ranked Ohio State fourth over Texas A&M. Um, Ohio State went out this past Saturday without their head coach, without three starting offensive linemen, without one of their starting linebackers and captains with, I think, 17 total players out. And they they dismantled. They didn't just win. They dismantled a Michigan State team um, that in head-to-head matchups had already beaten Michigan. I don't know that the committee, which is tasked simply with picking the four best college football teams in the country – would necessarily say, well, Ohio State has to beat the shit out of their rival for us to consider them still the fourth best team. Right. So if you're AM, I feel like there is a little bit of a risk of saying, we're just going to sit here and assume that us not playing and Ohio State not playing benefits us. Uh, I feel like if you want to try to guarantee your way into the playoffs, knocking off the number four team in the, in the rankings, and as you and I have been recording, the newest rankings have been released and we're still four there's still five. I, I feel like there's a whole lot you can possibly gain by playing Ohio state considering the slot is open. I don't know. I don't know if it'll happen, but it's an interesting possibility. So 
the long-winded answer to your question is no. At the moment, I've not picked up work on Saturday. You know what I did? Um, this is going to be totally non-football related. It's okay. I was, uh, I, I realized something. I, I was a little perturbed and I wanted to not be on social media. <laughs> it's funny, all the things that I will immerse myself in social media with, COVID, the election, Oh. You can, you cancel this game. I wanted nothing to do with social media. So I hopped on Carvana just for kids. <laughs> I bought a car today. What, you bought a car? I bought a car on Carvana. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's high-level depression shopping right there. Okay, it was necessary, and we had been talking about it, but I... <laughs> That is the best way to buy a car ever. I'm just going to say that. What This is not an endorsement. This is just a great experience. Um, holy crap. It was like 15 minutes. On my now, phone. so let me ask you this. How does this work now? Because you're buying it online. Like, is it a setup mm-hmm. now where you get it and get to, like, keep it for so long? It's essentially like kind of a test drive before seven, you have you to have make... a, You have seven days. You have a, Okay. So you, you've bought it, but you basically have seven days to cancel it and return it. Okay. So I'm not going to sell the car it's replacing until that seven days is up. I'm not okay. going to, you know. But, yeah, like everything's done online. Like, I mean, literally on my phone. Uh, it took, you know, when you go to a car dealership or, um, you know, and you get financing through them or even if you go to your own bank, which I've never – well, I can't speak to that. I've never done that. I've always gone through a dealership because I'm a sap and – um, but it, I mean, you're there. It's like buying a house. That's like a six. That's your day. Like you have to plan a day to buy a car. Yeah. So it's 15 minutes of sad buying. It's, it's as, this is what's dangerous about it. Like, so, you know, sometimes you'll get on Amazon and you'll just, just cause you're bored and you might be like, ah, oh, I wonder what's on sale today or what's the hot deals shit man you get on carvana you better have a big ass driveway so let me ask you this because are we still talking carvana are we going back to ohio state no no we're still talking carvana um how did how did you approach making this decision did you have like an, an idea in mind for specifically what car you wanted well we knew what type of car we wanted we wanted like a, a mid-sized suv Okay. A crossover. Yeah. Um, you know, something with all wheel drive so that, cause I, I, my little Kia Forte is not, is that I don't want to put the family in that in a snowstorm. Right. And our, our other, our old rust bucket does have four wheel drive. So that's our family vehicle in a snowstorm. Um, but we, we knew what we wanted we just didn't it all it all came down to when we found the right deal when the right time was and because the issues with the old car it's kind of become more clear that it's time to you know time to start move, moving forward with right. getting another vehicle and um i just i found the one and i'm i'm glad to say that i can actually see how many people had saved and favorited that vehicle and how many views it had. And a lot of people are going to be upset the next time they log on to Carvana. So, and my wife has a new ride. 
that's the other thing that sucks is like she drives the rust bucket because her drive her her drive to work is like a fifth of what mine is right so i i put the miles on the newer car right um because she doesn't drive at all basically but she still takes the kid to school and it's like oh man can't start the freaking car up and warm it up in the mornings when it's cold out because the fucking muffler is rusted out right so it's uh yeah it's time to it's time to get with the times here and the reason i asked that was because you know this is obviously it's it's a newer concept the idea of essentially you know buying a car off an online website like that's that's a newer concept and most people they they do like the whole like going to the dealership and, and test driving different stuff, or at least, you know, if you're going to make a decision like that, obviously that's going to be a big part of it. I, I'm that guy, like I've been pretty loyal now to Toyota ever since I bought my first one back in 2006. And generally now, if I'm going to get a new car, I don't really have much of an interest in shopping around. I know what I'm going to get. And so, you know, I'm kind of the worst guy to go buy a car because when I go in, you don't really have to talk me into anything. As long as I test drive the car and it's got the giddy up that I want, I'm probably going to get your Toyota. And yeah, so I, you know, when we're when we're doing the whole haggling thing, usually what it comes down to with me is is me saying, "Listen, this is what I want to pay a month. Find a way to get me there." And that's it. There's no there's yeah. no I'm leaving the lot or anything like that. It's just this is I really want this car. I've been loyal to you guys for almost 15 years just simply find a way to get me to what I want to pay. Um, when I, I bought the car that I own now, I bought in 2012 when I got my teaching job. And, um, you know, I, I just, I was making enough money as a teacher that I could afford it, but I really didn't have a whole lot to play with. And I remember the guy, the, the salesman was just kind of like, he thought I was playing games. I'm like, listen, Tony, I, I really am not. This is what my paycheck is going to be. These are what my bills are going to be. I can afford this much, find a way to get me there. And they eventually did, you know, the typical car loan length is usually five years. I think they had to extend it to seven years to get me there, but they did it. And so like, I guess I was thinking about it. Like I could find myself buying a car online because for me, the whole shopping experience isn't really the point. I know what I want. I wasn't sure if you were approaching it exactly the same way. I think it's a terrible experience to go to a dealer because like, so last time I bought a car, I knew what car I wanted and I do a lot of research. Like, so even if I look on your lot, like I, I'm the dude who will like have spreadsheets of like how much something is where it's located, you know, color preference and all that stuff. I'm that dude who I will do research for weeks and find the one vehicle I want. You should see me plan our cruises. Um, and uh, I so to when I get to the, you know, whatever dealer it is, whether it's a big dealer or small dealer, they will oversell me on shit. Like I'll be sitting there just waiting. Okay. Let's get the paperwork. Uh, I just, I'm getting the car, get the paperwork. They'll be like, yeah, this is great. It's like, dude, just stop talking to me at this point. I, I don't want to be rude, but I don't, right. if you want to talk to me, let's just talk about like, let's talk about Ohio state football. Hey, let's do that. Yeah. What a segue. So we're going back to Ohio State football. Um, I, I don't know where we're going because we don't, we don't have a game on Saturday. Uh, you know, 
I'll ask you this, and yeah. I have I have a pretty strong opinion on it, but I'll ask you this: um, are, are you carrying any uh, any sort of notion that this was like intentional to no. screw over your? Yeah, okay, no. No, yeah, neither no. am I. I um, and actually, I, I was I I love Kirk Herbstreet. I think Kirk Herbstreet's a great analyst, and I hate that he had to move his family away for, from Columbus because he did the very basic media thing of just being objective about your team. He has said in the past when he thought Ohio state was good and he's called it Ohio state when they've been bad. And there's a, there's a segment of Ohio state fans that hate any sort of objectivity about their team. And so he basically felt compelled to move his, his family out of the city he's lived in and played in uh, to get away from that. But I thought he did something hugely irresponsible last week when during the playoff, uh, the playoff ranking reveal show, he said, you know, I've heard, you know, some speculation that teams might drop these games to avoid getting embarrassed. And he, he mentioned Ohio state, Michigan. And then he afterwards apologized and said, you know, please, you know, let me make it clear that I have no inside information that this is going on. And I just, I thought it was hugely irresponsible because in this day and age with social media, you know, you, I haven't been on social media today either to see what the fallout is, but you and I both know, that there are fans out there that are somehow thinking that this is intentional and um, this is going to become part of the rivalry. There's going to be that group of fans that think that there's gutless Ohio, you know, gutless Michigan players that sabotaged everything because they don't, they want to screw over the rival one. The big 10 wants a playoff team. It doesn't matter who the team is. Your, your conference gains prestige when there's a playoff team. And this, this puts in jeopardy Ohio state making the playoffs. Every university gets money. That was the second point. Like, when you, when one of your teams makes the playoffs, the whole conference gets more money, and it's split up. So that's that was that's two. And then, you know, you and I, Andrew, we're huge Ohio State fans, and of all the teams that I follow, I'm probably the most emotional about Ohio State. Like, it's probably the one team where I'll kind of get out of my logical approach to things and and let emotion take over and i i loathe michigan with the fire of a thousand suns i grew up watching really great ohio state teams lose national Mm. title hopes to michigan Mm. so i I hate them damn it but but part of what makes a rivalry great is recognizing that all sides of the rivalry respect the rivalry enough to treat it with the the deference and respect that it deserves Nobody goes to Michigan after two decades of getting their asses handed to them by Ohio state and says, if things go South, I'm going to chicken out and sabotage this and not have to face my rival. They go there to try to end the two decades of being embarrassed. And so there's, it's, to me, it's disrespectful to Michigan, to Michigan's players, to their coaching staff, to Jim Harbaugh, who is incredibly competitive. One of the most, crazily competitive guys I've seen it's disrespectful to suggest that none of those guys is up there feeling today that they dodged a bullet they they wanted against all odds to try to upset Ohio State and none of them are sitting there celebrating tonight yeah the seniors who lost three straight would have loved a chance to upset us which happens yeah go back to the 10-year war what was it uh the first 68 I think Shim Beckler won in 60. Did he win his first year? 
I think so. I'm looking right now. There was an Ohio State team that was primed to win a national yeah. title. I'll look but, it up as we're talking. You know, yeah, it's you're not. Th- those kids aren't excited. I'm, I'm not. No. And I'm not trying to sympathize with players from the team up north. I'm just I'm not because, you know, there, there are protocols that were breached. There, there were things that they probably could have done to um, increase the chances of this game happening Saturday, dating right. back a few weeks, not dating back to earlier today or anything, right. you know, going back in time. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe not. This is a raging pandemic that's, you know, got our hospitals near capacity and um, things just aren't good. So they may not have been able to prevent it at all. I have no, I have no clue. I'm not there. You'll right. never find me in Ann Arbor. You just won't. Um, but one thing that we you brought up a second ago, um, you were talking about money. Kind of want to uh, pivot, just even if it's for a quick second. Sure. Um, there was a 60 Minutes the other night that I encourage uh, everybody to go back and watch. Um, it'd be the 60 Minutes from December 6th, uh, if you're able to go back and watch it. Because uh, they actually had a great segment on uh, what's happened to what's happening to certain Olympic sports in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody that I've followed on Twitter for years, Victoria Jackson, she was actually interviewed on it. And she's like a college sports historian and definitely like an advocate for uh, uh, student athletes in non-major college sports. And she, uh, it was just really in- interesting to watch. It was kind of validating to watch too, because, you know, you and I, we all have formal education or training in anything that we talk about. Right. And, uh, but we, you know, we are, you know, I try to be a sponge for information, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, whatever it's regarding. And I, I want to be educated about whatever I'm discussing or am passionate about. And you're even better at that than I am because I'm kind of the, silly one on the show um but it's it's cool to see that so many of our points that we did in an episode a few months back was outdated Um, and so if you haven't listened to that one uh shoot i don't remember which episode it was off the top of my head but um sports money and the pandemic is a good listen because that's a little bit of what we're looking at with this game being canceled on saturday and the ramifications of it being canceled and why it wasn't canceled on purpose. Again, never going to defend the team up North, like for any, or sympathize with them. Right. Because I, I despise them, but you're right. There is like a mutual respect. I think I've said this on every um, hate, hate week that we've done. Um, this is not the one we had hoped for, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think there is a, um, there is a respect that you have to have for one another and you have to understand Ohio state football does not exist in its current form without that team up North and vice versa. Yeah. We- we kind of rely on one and it's so, cause it's so ingrained in who we are. Right. 
I mean, there's a reason I have a tattoo on my arm of the second coming of Jesus with three people being left behind. And one of them is a Michigan fan. Like there is a, there, there's a reason that that is there. There is something to just how it's part of our everyday life. And, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be the same person without this rivalry. And I know that sounds strange, but I would be somewhat different. It may be minor, uh, but it's so, it's so ingrained in just who I am and how I, how I go about so many things. And it just, it does suck. Like it really sucks that it's not happening this year. Um, the Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer break that, that university's football team. It certainly looks like it. It really does. Um, Cause I mean, they're talking about, Oh, well, rumor is extending. There's all, uh, Jim Harbaugh. There's also yeah. rumors that he is being courted by the NFL. I mean, the dude's still a good coach. I, I, yeah. I know, I know he has had, you know, at Stanford, he had the fortune of Andrew Luck. Uh, in San Francisco, he kind of caught fire from Alex Smith and Kaepernick at the right yeah. times. Um, but I mean, the dude is still a, a good football coach. He's not as good as his brother, but um, I think this is one of the things that so that really so interests me about sports. Because on a on a much smaller scale, having coached at the high school level, I understand the details that go into trying to create you know a small winning program it, it's certainly a much bigger business the higher up the totem pole you go in college and you know ohio state michigan's as as big as it gets you know if you look at the landscape of the last 10 years in college football there's let's say there's three programs that consistently seem to be head and shoulders above the rest alabama clemson ohio state and you could make the case that oklahoma might be in there that georgia might be in there uh, they're they're the tier below. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that they're probably there because they've been good, but they haven't always been able to consistently do it. But those three programs just seem to be operating at a different level, you know, with with different sorts of guys doing it. Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, slash Ryan Day, and Dabo Swinney are all they're all different guys. Um, you know, if you dig into some of the things that Urban Meyer did, you know, with regards to what they do with recruiting and some of the other things, you know, everybody tries to recruit well. Uh, it, it sounds like Ohio State did a number of things that took their recruiting to a different level. And one of the smartest things Ryan Day did when he came in was to say, I'm not really touching any of that. You know, these people know what they're doing. They're delivering guys to us. Um, you know, so I don't know. Because when you look at Michigan, on paper, the hires they've made since Lloyd Carr retired they've made sense you know rich rodriguez was having success at a, at a fairly you know not a big program but you know west virginia is in a big conference and has had some success down there let's not say that it's not a big Dude, program. he had it's, some good freaking teams down there yeah i mean like if, if you can't say that that's a small school when ohio state hired jim trestle from a one double a program an fcs program right um okay so that that hire made sense didn't work uh brady hoke okay brady hoke's a guy that's had success at some smaller schools um 
you know, again, not a big school, but to me, he was kind of like the Jim Trussell sort of hire a guy with Michigan ties uh, who had success at a smaller school. Let's bring him up and see what he can do. And, and it made sense. You got your, you got your guy because you went through that dry spell against us. You, yeah. Cause I think that the biggest thing that I think has kind of been, if you're a recruit, you know, from day one, if you step in on that campus in Columbus, what your goal is to come there and do. Sure. It's, it's not to win national championships. It's not to get to the NFL. Your goal is to come there and beat the team up North. That's it. That is the like singular focus of the program in Columbus. Sure. There are other things that we want to do, but that is what you come to the Ohio state university to, to do. Yeah. Like, and it is, that game is prepped for year round. Yeah. And so when they hired Brady Hoke, I think they hoped to bring that in. And then I think yeah. when, when Brady Hoke didn't work out. And it's so funny to look at this rivalry and just look at a couple of plays and wonder how things could have changed because I do think there's a psychological thing. Oh yeah. They went for two in uh, yeah. 2013. And mm-hmm. at the end of regulation, that was the, infamous Marcus Hall flipping off the entire big house on his way right. out of the stadium. Um, I, yep. I still got my autographed picture of that hanging up in my office. Um, but like if they convert that, like are things different, you know, and then go a few years later, go to um, 2000, was it 2007, 17, the controversial Samuel. Yeah. The controversial the spot. spot, you know, yeah. if, if that, changes you know do things turn around for them does something change with the psyche and yeah there's just there's just no success against us and you know that it permeates that program it has to and i because we're talking about we're talking about tradition and we're talking about stadiums that fill with over a hundred thousand people almost twice the size of nfl football stadiums yeah and fan bases that are more rabid in some ways. Uh, I mean, I, I would say it's, I mean, I can only talk about here cause we live here, but uh, I mean, I would say Ohio state is right up there with the Browns. I mean, it ebbs and flows with the Browns success, but the Ohio state rabidness is fairly. Uh, I think college sports fandom is a different sort of fandom than pro sports fandom is. But, I, I mean, Ohio is the cradle of football, and uh, you certainly do, I think, see a sort of different rabid intensity about football here than you might see elsewhere. You know, certainly in Big Ten country, certainly down south in, like, Texas or an SEC country, it's different as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's some of the most rabid football fandom that you have, and it's, it's fandom that comes to two programs in Ohio State and Michigan that have – a rich history of success. They've both been really, really good. And um, I, I do think there's something to what you're saying about the psychological component to it. Um, I think one of the things, you know, and I, this is again, one of those nuances, like you just, you kind of have to speculate from afar and wonder, um, you know, Harbaugh is this incredibly competitive coach and he's been successful. I mean, the guy went to three NFC title games with the team that had been in the, the NFL wilderness for a decade, at least the guy knows how to coach. 
there's a part of me that wonders you mentioned how Ohio State like when you go there you go there to beat Michigan I mean hell they have a clock a specific clock in the facility that counts down to that game what Ohio State seems to have done and this goes back to Jim Trestle is they have found a way to make the game a focal point of the year's preparation but without it owning so much real estate in their heads that they that they almost overpsych themselves for it. And when you look at Jim Harbaugh, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a weird guy. You know, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, slept over recruits houses and just some of the stuff he does and says, like, he just kind of comes across as being a guy who's just a little weird. And what I've often wondered about him is if, if him being sort of a, a Michigan legacy, you know, a guy that played there that played under Bo, is it almost a little, is he almost a little too focused on it? And that's going to sound weird when we just talked about the programs wanting to beat each other. Like that's all they're built for. But I think there's a difference between having that, but also knowing how to respectfully distance yourself from it so that you understand that it's part of what your program is versus a guy who you almost wonder if he's stepping onto the field every year and thinking like, I need to win this game for my legacy. Man, I don't know because yeah. I, I... I, I guess that, that respectful distance, man, they, I, I tell you what, down there in Columbus, we, we, like you said, there's a clock. I mean, these, these kids show up for practice every day and know when that game is, you know, and except, I, I, except this year. Uh, but, and, and you know, what, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm probably struggling to say exactly what I mean. Um, okay. So like, I'll, I'll use it in running terms. <laughs> what running? Yeah, I know. Right. Cause we are still a running podcast. Um, <laughs> Something like that. There's that difference between putting in the work and having the confidence in the work that you've put in, that you show up on race day and say, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I, I, I trust in the work that I've put in versus showing up on race day, having put in the work, but saying, if I don't have a good race today, it's going to somehow mean that I'm a failure and the work that I've put in wasn't good enough. It seems like, it seems like Ohio state has mastered that art of trusting the work they've putting uh, of trusting the work they've put in such that when they show up, they already feel like they're going to win because they trust what they've done. Michigan. And this is where you ask the question, like has Ohio state broken Michigan? You just, kind of have to wonder at this point if they're just almost not trusting the work because there's that pressure of if we don't do it today what are they going to say about us and that you know they're not going to be able to trust the work they've put in almost until they get over that hump and I guess that's what I was getting at and it's that's such a fine line but you know having grown up through the John Cooper years John Cooper one was a hell of a coach and two was a hell of a recruiter if you look at the reasons Ohio State won that national title over Miami back in 2003, it was because it was oh. largely stocked with John Cooper players who could play ball. Dude, that that national championship has to be one of the most talented of all time. Yes. I mean, there, there weren't just NFLers. There were pro bowlers. Yeah. And Hall of Famers all over that field on both sides. Oh my goodness, especially on the defensive side for both teams. But, um, but you know, you know what, man? 
like that coach, despite having all that talent and all that coaching ability, for whatever reason, the game just psyched him out. Like whatever happened, he just, he and his team did not trust themselves on game day, despite having all those advantages. And I just, I, it probably Wait, you talking about question. Miami. No, I'm sorry. Just talking about John Cooper with the oh. Michigan game. Like he had those, he had oh. that talent year in and year out. And that, that was sort of the difference is that Jim Trussell was able to take those same guys and say, guys, we got this. Like he made it a focal point, but while it was a focal point, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like they were going into it with clenched fists, like worried about what would happen if they didn't win. Yeah. There was this calmness that like, guys, we've got this. Well, yeah, exactly. Because Jim Trestle, when he was announced on the floor of the, was it the shot at the time? I think it was, Um, it was, I don't know if it was the shot or it still might've been St. John's arena. Okay. Um, but you Which know, I, great basketball arena, by the way. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know why. Okay, us and North Carolina. Seriously, you got two way better college basketball venues that are still up, and you yeah. use a different one. Yeah, you but, should go back to using them. And, and neither here nor there. Yes, please um, continue. You know, Jim Trestle. You know, he was just so confident. Yes, like, you didn't know who Jim Trestle was, and I watch, and I'll probably still watch it on Friday. Because it's going to make me sad if I go a year without watching it. The HBO special, The Rivalry, that they did. I want to say it was um, one verse two. What was that? 2006, right? So the year after uh, HBO did a special called The Rivalry on Ohio State and the other guys. And they... uh, you know, they, they talk about, or they bring up the Jim Trestle thing and, you know, every, all the commentary people are, uh, you know, talking about who is, who, yeah. who is Jim Trestle? And then, you know, they show his little speech and, you know, he's talking about, you're going to be proud of our players um, in the classroom, in the community. And most especially in 300 and however many days um, he had the exact number. I don't Yeah, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And they go back to the commentary guys and like, we have somebody who gets it. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a calm because Trestle was always calm for the most part. He was mm-hmm. never really, but he knew it. He, he knew what was ahead of him, or at least he portrayed that and he did it adequately. And uh, from that day on, man, it's been a great day to, it's been it's been a great time to be a Buckeye, and it really sucks to to have a year without it. But we will. I mean, this is really when you realize that it is everything to this program, though, because we can sit here and go, "Oh, yeah, playoffs, great." Like I, you told me earlier through text that you were kind of detached. This I didn't feel detached from Ohio State. And the results until now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll watch if we play on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship playoff. But something will always be missing. We could win the national championship, and I will still look back on this year as, you know, just inadequate in some respects. Because it's every it is everything. And I think. I think what I was getting at 
Um, it, it has less to do with Ohio State, and it's more it's more just kind of how I feel about sports in general. Um, I remember going back in back when the NBA was going on, and you know there were discussions about why the NBA had decreased viewership, and you know people speculated, oh, it's the social justice angle. Um, you know, a lot of people hit hard on that, and somebody said, you know, a lot of it might just be that there's not fans there. And the fact that part of the sporting experience is having fans and watching fan reactions. And, you know, I said earlier to you that, you know, college football is sort of a different experience. I think so much of college football is the experience of having fans there, having a band in the seats. Um, You know, I watched the Indians this summer, but I didn't really feel fully invested in it because the Indians are a team that I go, I see at least 10 games a year, sometimes 20, which is, you know, a quarter of the home season. It's the team that I spend the most face-to-face, like in the seats sort of interaction with. Um, I'm not a huge NBA fan. Um, I've been to a few NBA games. It's low on my list of, of, you know, sporting experiences to see live. And honestly, I feel that same way about the NFL as well. I've been to a few NFL games. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of the in-game experience as an NFL fan, you don't understand how many stoppages there are until you actually go to an NFL game and you see just how often these guys are just standing around waiting because there's a commercial break. Um, So I think part of me saying I'm detached from it is that I've enjoyed this Ohio State season, but I haven't enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed other Ohio State seasons because to me, the experience feels incomplete without fans being able to watch it there. And I had I had an experience on Sunday, and I, I know you don't like it when I talk soccer, but it sort of sucker punched me and made me realize how much it had meant to me. Um, England has been much further behind the United States as far as letting fans back into their stadiums. And this past Sunday was the first time that they had allowed fans back into uh, stadiums. Um, and specifically the, the team that I support, Liverpool. Now, I would say that European soccer fandom is much closer to college fandom than it is to pro sports fandom in the United States. It's, it's more organic because these clubs grew up like within the towns, like they were a hundred years ago, like actually like sporting clubs that people within the community could participate in. And so it, it, those teams didn't grow the same way that pro sports teams did here in the United States. Um, and so Liverpool's fandom is, is a rabid sort of fandom that I would put like on par with Ohio State's fandom. They hadn't been in. And in the time that fans haven't been permitted in that stadium, they, they ended a 30-year title drought that I would put like to them, it felt like kind of on par with Cleveland's title drought. That's how much it meant to the fans. And so on Sunday, I'm already jacked up because the Browns are kicking Tennessee's ass. And at 2.15, the Liverpool game came on. So I typed, I, I brought it up on my computer to watch and before those games the supporters uh sing the club's anthem and it's it's something that sounds super weird to american fans because we don't do anything like it here but it was just 2,000 fans and for the first time since all this went on they turned off the crowd noise that they've been pumping in during the games and they just let those 2,000 fans sing on the telecast and andrew man i was i was sitting in my living room tears streaming down my face because i knew how much it meant to those 2,000 fans to be there And so when I said I was detached, I think that's what I meant is that it just doesn't feel quite real or right to me without fans being there. And 
it's like this is this was supposed to be one of the best Ohio State teams you and I had ever seen, and they've been really good. Justin Fields is so fucking good, and it just sucks that we can't be there to experience it. It is what it is, but it's just taken a little something out of it for me. Oh, I, I get that. Uh, the the game experience is not the same. Um, you know, watching it on TV. I've I've never right. been. I've never been to. I'm unfortunate to have never been to an Ohio State game. Oh my God, um, I, I want to go. Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then we're going to move on to our next topic that we only have a second. Like, sure. It's for. And that's all about you, my friend. Um, but I, I want, I, I, I would never want to go to the game in person. Oh my God. I, it's incredible. No, I've tailgated it. Oh, it's amazing. I have fun. But I, I, I would love to go see us beat Florida A&M and take it all in, you know, all the pageantry and everything of the game, the, you know, walking around the shoe. I've run around the shoe, Darius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't been to, I haven't watched a football game at the shoe. Um, I, I, because the TV experience is just better. Um, I know there's things that you're, there are things you're missing, but I've become so accustomed to it. I kind of, I like, I understand what I'm missing, especially now because it's not there. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it does. It sucks. I, I've not been detached. I've been detached from every other. I usually Saturdays for me are wake up college football all day. <laughs> like right yeah something in the morning and that's it yeah. I've i've only watched ohio state and i had the virginia tech clemson game on in the background on saturday those are the only games i've watched ohio state and that that's yeah. it oh penn state indiana i watched the second half of that game maybe okay. the fourth quarter but that was it so um i tell you what game i did watch this past weekend Ooh. okay Adam, Ooh. we have 15 minutes. Okay. Give me 30 seconds to wrap it up. But, and don't take all the time. I would like to talk no. to you because I no. got points because I still like the Browns. But the Cleveland Browns oh. are nine and three. And as of about 8.30 on Monday night, are only two games behind the Pittsburgh Steelers with one head-to-head matchup left in week 17. And their schedule the next three weeks is not easy. So, I want to hear what you're feeling right now because I don't care what happened in the second half. That and This is in the words of our friend who's never been on the pod and we've asked to come on and won't, Ryan McCartney. That was an ass whooping on Sunday. Don't let the score deceive you. No, and you know, in the second half is what you get because you deliver that ass whooping. It was basically a controlled sort of strangulation. Like, hey, we've, we've gotten such a lead that you have to be perfect on everything. And if you're not, we'll just slowly bleed you to death. And that's what they did. Man, so... There's and a, it was fluky at the end to even let them yeah, get the score that yeah. close. Nah, I I was never there. there I was never worried. Okay. Um, there there had to be a. F- I mean, I know for me there were a few nerves on the onside kick uh, with like thirty six seconds. Yeah, I mean there always is with that, but it's like even then everything has to go perfect. Um, 
I am a Falcons fan. Trust me. It yeah. can all go perfect for somebody. You know, um, it's not just that the team's winning. I've, I've, I haven't seen a lot, but I've seen some winning Browns teams in my adult life. You know, Butch Davis, when he was the Browns coach, uh, Romeo Cornell had the, the 10 and six season in 2007. Um, but I've seen a lot of really bad coaching. And, and one of the things that always stands out when you're watching the really well-coached teams is like, you, you know what a well-coached team looks like. And as a Browns fan for 20 years, I've thought, man, I want one of those guys. Like, why can't my team, it's not just that I want them to win. I want to have a guy on the sidelines that I have faith in that he's going to put the team week in, week out in a position to win. And Holy shit, man. Kevin Stefanski is so sexy. You know, it's, it's so tragic for the women in Cleveland that in his first year that the silver Fox has to cover up his half his face with a mask. Like I feel like 2020 is like, all right, guys, we're going to give you a winner and a hot coach, but y'all can't appreciate it. Um, but I watch games now and I'm not joking when I say that I, I'm not concerned. I actually didn't expect us to win that game. I didn't expect us to get blown out the way we did earlier in the year. I just felt like with some of the injuries we were dealing with, with Miles Garrett coming back from COVID and he, he said, COVID. yeah, I like, you know, you watched him after the first drive, he was huffing and puffing, you know, out of shape. And, you know, given what we know COVID does, like, that's one of those things like you go, okay, shit, like he might not be very good today. Um, so going into the game, I felt better about our game next week against Baltimore than I did against Tennessee, but I didn't think we'd get blown out, but I did not at all see the mauling that we would deliver coming. I, I didn't see it coming at all. And just like every time something happened, you're like when the Browns had that first drive and people's Jones dropped that pass, which would have been a sure touchdown. You're like, ah, shit, that's the sort of thing that comes back to haunt us. And we just, every time they threw a punch, we took it and just threw a harder one back. And all of a sudden you're running away with it and there's just nothing we can't do right. And What's really, what's really starting to look special about this team is it's far from being a complete team. It's really hurting in the secondary. There's not a lot of talent there. The linebacking core is iffy at best. The defensive line has been the strength, and when they play well, they tend to win. But really, they need reinforcements outside of Miles Garrett. But there's something that good NFL teams do because this time of year, everybody's hurt. Everybody's got injuries. You know, it, it's, you, you can't let it be an excuse. And the teams that are really good and persevere find ways to just bring in new guys that are kind of role players and make them comfortable. And that's what this team is doing. And it's just really special to watch because this is the sort of team that Cleveland has not had in the last 20 years. Like it's not a team that's winning in fluky ways. They're they're doing it consistently and they're doing it while executing their will. And God, man, it's special. It's really special. You know, I tell you what, when you were talking about Stefanski, I, I think you see a team, you saw a team last year that was so, oh, uh, I mean, just nothing seemed fluid. Nobody seemed connected no. with one another. It was just, it was awful. But this year, like I kept using the word on Sunday conviction. Like, yeah. that's what I was seeing from the players. And the the play that stuck out to me the most, um, and, and I mean, there were a lot of them, but, uh, well, there were two. 
and they were both at the goal line. One was a Nick Chubb run up the middle. He didn't get the touchdown, but mm-hmm. the way he hit the hole, I know he's always been a violent runner. Yeah. There was something different about the way he was playing on Sunday. Uh, and I mean, he didn't put up great stats. I know I have him in fantasy, but he was playing different. And that gets energy around the rest of your team too. Yeah. And, uh, but then there was the play fake when they, when they threw the pass to uh, Kendall Lamb. Yeah. The uh, offensive uh, lineman in the end zone. And the way Hunt and Chubb both, both sold out to have a play fake take a touchdown opportunity away from both of them. I mean, because I've never seen running backs sell like that. Like right. Chubb jumped over an offensive lineman and almost got hit. Right. He had two he had two linebackers going right at him who probably suddenly were like, oh, fuck. I've never seen that. And then the, uh, the play fake on that deep ball to uh, Peoples-Jones, it was the oh. same thing. And I mean, Baker is good at that. He's good at the hard count and those play fakes. He's a good acting quarterback. Uh, but the, the work that everybody is doing, the blocking by wide receivers on running plays, the somersaults by Wyatt Teller, there, there are so many things. Have you seen this? Wyatt, Wyatt Teller doing somersaults mid-game? Oh, yes. It's glorious. <laughs> But there are so many good things happening off the ball now that since I've lived in Ohio for the last six years and two years previously, um, I, I've never seen I've never seen a Browns team look remotely like this. Maybe a little bit under Petten, but the talent wasn't there. But I don't think I've seen this type of buy-in. And Stefanski has done an incredible job to get that. Now that just shows, I mean, a dude, and I mean, credit to Stefanski, the dude was interviewed and turned down a year ago. Yeah. And I mean, that shows his just lack of emotion. And I'm just going to go after the best situation for what's in front of me. Have you ever seen, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I've never like interviewed for a job and then say, no, we don't want you. And then, like, a year later, they call me back. Oh, sweet. Let's do it. Yeah, that's yeah, – yeah, uh, it was really funny when that happened. So, so, since we're talking Browns, I'm giving you a six-minute warning right now. Because that's fine. Could... No, like, one is, like, the, the, the amount of ego you have to not have to do that. Because it wasn't just that he interviewed for the job the year before. He interviewed and was the runner-up. And the guy that he lost the job to failed, like just spectacularly failed. Holy shit, was Freddie bad? Um, you know, we, so he we came were back. Wrong about that one. <laughs> no, and like I, I will, I will one hundred percent say that I was wrong. And um, what I was gonna say though is, have you ever seen the movie um, American Gangster with Denzel Washington? Yes. There's a line in that movie that I would often quote to my soccer players, you know, cause when you're dealing with, with, you know, teenage high school boys, there's a lot of bravado. There's a lot of, a lot of volume guys that want to show their toughness or think they're being tough by being loud. And I would quote them a line from that movie. And, and the line is that the, the loudest one in the room is often the weakest one in the room. 
And something that stood out with Freddie Kitchens last year that really started to alarm me really early on was he was often um, talking about how, like, if you didn't wear brown and orange, you didn't matter. And um, just very often, very often trying to project strength. And I, I'm really leery of people that try to project strength by things they say, because the strongest people out there just simply show strength by being strong, by executing. And it's, it's the difference this year is so stunning in part because Kevin Stefanski is a quiet guy. He doesn't really give you bulletin board material. Um, if he's, he's ever getting on my bulletin boards at home, <laughs> um, you know, if there's ever success, he's often deflecting it to other people. It's not him. It's, you know, it's my assistant coach. It's my players. It's whoever it's, it's not him. If there's blame, he's taking it, but not in a confrontational screw you sort of way in a, Hey, that was me. I made a mistake. I need to fix that. You know, after the Pittsburgh game, when Pittsburgh beat the crap out of us, he said, you know, I called plays in that game that I would never, ever call again. That's on me. And I thought one of the strongest things he did on Sunday, he's coaching against Mike Vrabel and Mike Vrabel was known when he played for new England as being the, the non-skill player who would score touchdowns. You know, they would, they would bring him in on offense, even though he's a defensive player, they would bring him in on offense and scheme him as like an extra lineman or a fullback or whatever, and then throw touchdowns to him. I thought one of the strongest things Kevin Stefanski did the other day was that Kendall Lamb pass because he essentially vrabled Mike Vrabel. Well, oh, and hold up. That was the drive after Vrabel tried to do that. Yes. To the Browns. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. I will say for the first time during a Browns game, because like, I mean, I'm very open and honest about my NFL fandom. Yes. So I'm not going to claim the Browns as my team, but I do root for them. Right. And I do enjoy them. And there are things I love about them besides Mm -hmm. just their head coach. And uh, it's, I'm married to a woman, by the way, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, um, (laughs) I, like I hooted and hollered for one of the first times I can recall during a Browns game. Right. Like I was really like up on my feet in my living room. Like it would be for a Buckeye game. Like I've never really been that way. That's one of those things that I've always kind of felt like when this Falcons core dwindles away, that the, the allegiance may swing a little bit. Oh, because and it's natural. I don't force it. I go with you know what I see. Right. I I mean, it's not fair weather. I'll always be a Falcons fan, but there may be like a little um, the, the scales balance a little bit. Well, you know, you live you live in a different city now from the city where your sports <laughs> affiliation really got grounded. And I've often thought about like what would happen if I moved to another city. Yeah. Like I, you know, well, I can't th- imagine that my affiliations would change, especially if like you're in a city too, where the Browns are not direct rivals to the Falcons. Right. And you know, so you'll hear me talk about the Indians and the Braves. You'll hear right. me talk about the Falcons and the Browns. You'll right. never hear me talk about the Cavs and the Hawks. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because the Cavs had a couple of years where they had to, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm a Cavs fan. Right. Like I I was, I became a LeBron fan when I lived in Atlanta, ironically. Okay. Um, It was well. no, I guess I lived in Denver when he, the, the Pistons game. Cause I I was a doubter. He proved me wrong. You're my my favorite player in the world now. Yeah. And so I continued to follow him and uh, you know, had ties to Northeast Ohio anyways. And so it was just, and I was already an Ohio state fan. So it just made sense. And then I moved here and it grew and grew and grew and I couldn't root for the Hawks when they became a rival and Al Horford elbow dropped Delhi and everybody thought he was dirty because Kyle Corver can't dive after a ball. And <laughs> then Kyle Corver gets traded here and all's cool. And he has great hair and it's just like, <laughs> you know, but I'm a journey. <laughs> yes. I'm a Cavs fan. So but since it's Eastern Conference, yeah, I never, I don't, I, I had to make that choice. I never really have to make that choice between the NFL and MLB teams. Um, I tell you what choice I do have though. And that's the choice to um, end this. But man, we get to talk Browns and it doesn't suck. And it's not speculation like it was the last, last year when they traded for OBJ. I think that was the last time we did like almost any Brown centric. God. Yeah. With Brian Burke. Yes. Wow. So yeah. Remember when, remember when OBJ went down and everybody thought that was like the end of the season. Yeah. Boy. Well, no, I also remember all the people, all the idiots who thought it was like, Oh, Baker's going to be so much better without him. It's like, Okay, there's just middle ground where it's like these are NFL football players. And the Browns can be okay without him. Yeah, really, like if your coach is worth anything, they should be. And, and it's like you you just – you're better with better talent. There's no doubt. And OBJ right. is one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL. No, the dude can't stay healthy, and that's on him. A little bit. I mean, you can't really control some of your body's makeup. Right. Uh, The injury this year, I definitely don't think is on him. Uh, But, you know, neither here nor there. I mean, you're going to be – the Browns would be better now. It just took time. I mean, I hated all the coaching change arguments sometimes, but there isn't a lot of room for growth when that's happening. And you look at a weird off season and they're peaking at the right time. We hope we had one good week, so let's not get uh, too crazy here. Well, and you know what I'll say? I'll, I'll say this is my closing thought and then you can wrap us up is that they're really fun and there's a foundation being laid that should make us really fun for a while. Um, I hope fans won't do the thing that I know Browns fans are prone to do and overreact and all of a sudden think like, ah, Super Bowl's coming. Like this is a team that's probably, you know, you mentioned that Pittsburgh, that that game at the end of the year could be for the division. It could be. It's not um, going to be. In it, reality, it's, pro- it's probably not. It's probably not going to be. And even if it is, I, you know, being an objective fan here, I think Pittsburgh is still just a better team than we are. I'm sorry. That's going to anger people. But I, I think that. And the Browns are probably a team that just given the talent gaps they have in some key areas, especially on defense, let's say right now they make to the playoffs as a five seed, which is where they're at. It's probably where they're going to be. You can possibly win your first game because you're going to be playing 
Buffalo, Tennessee, or Indy, uh, or Indy, and you've beaten the two teams that you played there. So that's a winnable game. Second game then is probably against Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Mm. Probably not a game you're going to win there. And you know what? That would be a really successful season. So it's one of those, like, enjoy the ride. Enjoy all of the ride because this is the start of something special. We don't have to get – we don't have to summit the mountain this year. It, and you're not at the point where you have to be prisoners of your own success. I was looking yeah. at tweets um, that I think you and I had. It might have been today or yesterday. Um, it was – I forget which game it was about. It might have been about the um, – the playoff committee decision a couple years ago when we lost to Iowa. Was it oh, Iowa? Yeah, was it huge, Iowa or Purdue? The huge loss after, well, there was the huge Wait, loss to Iowa after the Penn State comeback. Right. And I can't remember. Purdue yeah, was that, the night before <laughs> I, the night before I ran the Columbus marathon because yes. I was like, Oh shit, this is a primetime game. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. And then by halftime, I'm like, Nope, I can go to bed. It's all uh, good. And, um, so the Purdue year was the year we didn't make the playoffs, right? Yes, I think uh, so. Okay. Um, but either way, I, you know, I, uh, I just, I remember seeing, you know, so often people are prisoners of success and, um, you know, as Ohio state fans, we are often that way because it is that, I mean, they're, <laughs> we've beaten Michigan. So we haven't, I just said their name. We haven't had to, really talk about that mm-hmm. um we we have accomplished that goal and the next goal is to make the playoff and win a national championship sure well we've had years where we haven't made the playoff and uh those years feel feel like failures because i mean that's the expectation right you know right now with the browns that can't be the expectation because I, I i would equate playoff to i mean in reality it is the you know, conference championship in the NFL. And so I, I would say that can't be your goal. Your goal can't be to get there and to win two more games as the Browns. It would be amazing. Yeah. It would be 2015 Buckeye amazing if that happened. Yeah. But that, that can't be the expectation. And yeah, this year, I mean, you know, unless there is an epic, like they don't win again until next football season. Right. You know, I don't think there's anything you can hang your head about. There's no moral victories, but you have to look back and go, we had more success than people suspected. Right. And especially given the circumstances of this year. And that's a great way to wrap this up. I hope as we have just a few weeks left in this year, that given the circumstances of this year, this year's been better than you thought it could be. I bought a car on Carvana today. My year is better than I thought it could be. We really don't get paid by Carvana for me to say that, I promise. Do you have anything that makes your year better than you thought it would be? That's nope. Good. No, no, it's... <laughs> You know what I what what I instantly went to is what I said for our our Thanksgiving thankful episode. So I don't want to just repeat that. Um, I what I will take out of this year is just 
I do think it's helped me focus on the things that are more important. Um, it, it's just, it's been clarifying. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll go and I'll use what, you know, I, I brought up Liverpool. So I'll, I'll bring up something the coach said after the game. He said, if you told me before all this happened that I would be thrilled about 2000 fans being in the stands, I would have thought you were nuts. And he said, if, if there's anything that comes out of all this thing, it's to make you realize like how important and how meaningful, like those little moments are. And I don't think I can really think of any one specific thing where I'm like, this part of my life is better, but I think I'm much more tuned into all the little things that I was maybe not paying the attention to that I needed to, that I think will make my life better going forward. So that, that's what I, that's what I drag out of 2020. There's just, there's any number of things that I, I just recognize the importance of that maybe I was kind of neglecting a little bit before. Well, I hope some of you people who are on some of our staying sane episodes are ready for those same, that same question. Cause yeah. hopefully be asking it to you here soon. Um, yeah. And I guess that's it. There's no no big game this weekend for oh, God damn it, that sucks. Yeah. Stay safe, stay clean. <laughs> oh, that's about as good of an ending as we can get for this one. There is one ICU bed available at the hospital down the road for me. So please stay safe. Stay clean, stay home. Wear your mask. Enjoy your miles, everybody.